Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. And hello. Homeowners do win foreclosure cases. And tonight we have one of the nation's foremost attorneys who has repeatedly done just that. Patrick Junta out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, whom I have known by my count for about six years, I think. This is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, November 14th, 2019, broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. If you like what we're offering, consider a donation on livinglives.me. One of the things that irks me is how banks are getting good press about reducing the number of foreclosures as though that was an accomplishment. The fact is, they should not have been able to foreclose in the first place. Existing law mandates that we deny foreclosure on any loan that was subject to claims of securitization as practiced, both for technical reasons and because the proceeds of sale under those foreclosures went to players who were booking the proceeds as revenue. So they were not turning over any money to anyone who had paid value for the debt. That's a difficult concept for people to wrap their heads around, but it's true. So that's why an industry, the banking industry, that created and wrote all the forms, documents, and laws governing banking and lending, they had to resort to the creation of fake forms and fake documents to invoke the use of laws that the real facts don't fit. In short, they were creating the illusions of financial transactions where money exchanged hands and then documenting the false transactions with false documents. The foreclosure mills are winning because in most cases, homeowners don't even contest the cases, much less hire a lawyer who knows how to win. It's hard to win if you don't show up. Patrick Junta is a well-respected lawyer in South Florida whose general practice has put him on all ends of virtually any transaction you can think about, especially residential loans. I've worked with Patrick on and off, and while we have had our vigorous discussions, I've always admired his intellect, tenacity, wit, and ability to see things from all sides. Most of all, I admire him for winning. He wins because he thinks he should. And that, I think, is the key difference between lawyers like Patrick Genta and lawyers who consistently lose in defending lawyers, in uh, defending homeowners in foreclosure cases. Most 
recently, Patrick has added another victory notch to his belt in the Murphy case. I have appeared in court with and without Patrick, but appearing with him has definitely been more fun and more productive. Patrick, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Neil. Thank you for having me. So this Murphy case, in the, in the Murphy case, your client defeated the party claiming to be the plaintiff who was claimed to be a claimant. You won the Murphy case. Tell us how. From the outset of the case, uh, Mr. Murphy had consulted with me and also uh, with his idea that the purported plaintiff, which was a trust, um, claimed that they owned the loan and delegated the authority to the servicer in that case, which was Caliber, uh, had the ability to foreclose. He, he knew that that wasn't true from day one, and after discussions uh, prior to the actual foreclosure being filed, we had uh, already planned and determined the best course of action to defend it, and that included the uh, utilization of a gentleman named Bill Padalo that I had never actually had uh, used an expert witness in trial before in this particular type of case in a foreclosure defense. So uh, the client had uh, had already made arrangements with Bill, and we basically brought everything in early based on the research of the facts and the documents that we knew existed. And then we went on a vigorous uh, uh, discovery expedition after the uh, answer and affirmative defenses were filed to request certain documents that they actually never produced until literally the uh, eve of the trial. Uh, day before, when I had my witness here, was the first time that he was able to examine the document that was, in fact, produced, but under a confidentiality agreement. Um, everything they said was proven at trial opposite and non-existent to what the facts actually were. So in that particular case, um, with the cooperation and assistance of the homeowner, who was a great, uh, great joy to have and work with, because one, he listened, and two, he understood. Uh, sometimes he asked, why are we doing it this way? And, and uh, I explained to him that, you know, this is why and that if you uh, challenge it successfully, the judge has no other alternative but to rule in your favor. And as a result of that trial, uh, we ended up with a basically a two-page written opinion that not only dismissed it involuntarily, but um, actually found uh, a judgment in favor of the uh, defense and specifically found that this trust uh, not only didn't have authority, but actually could never have authority. 
Yeah, you've done that before uh, uh, with the uh, Hollingsworth case. What were the discovery challenges? They come back and uh, object to everything on the basis that it is irrelevant and not uh, irrelevant and, you know, basically has nothing to do with the case and or that the document itself is uh, privileged. Um, they raise these BS things that whatever we're looking for is not what we need and that the bank gives us everything that we need, which is basically a copy of the note, the mortgage, and these thousands of, you know, or hundreds of pages of documents with entries on them that purport to be financial transactions, which are part of their business records. And, you know, and that's how they respond. And then we have to go back to, the, for example, they say, you're not entitled to the pooling and servicing agreement, which is the governing document for the trust. And they say, because you're not a party to it, and therefore um, it's not uh, discoverable. And when you go to the hearing on that, you have to convince the judge that it's not being offered um, for the re into evidence on the basis that the bank didn't comply with it. It's being offered to show they don't have standing at all because the purported trust not wasn't it followed, but more importantly, it never acquired the particular loan. It never was securitized. So uh, I've won several of those motions, including one up in Brevard County, and uh, where they were the it was a private trust. It wasn't even on the internet, and Wells Fargo ended up having to produce it, and that case was resolved. Uh, we had it in Hollingsworth where they actually did have to produce it. And in Murphy, they actually did produce the document. And most of the cases I won, uh, they've always raised uh, a, a case saying like, well, you're not entitled to it because you're not a party to it. But we're not, we're not using it for that reason. We're using it for a different purpose, mainly to show that uh, in order to, you know, you have to be trustee over something, which is the corpus of the trust. So unless they can prove that they own it, they can never be a uh, quote-unquote holder. So for the education of our listeners, um, let me put it simply. What are you allowed to do in discovery? Everything is pretty well discoverable if it's related at all to the uh, to the case. So what you want to discover is uh, what documents they are relying on to uh, state their positions, and they they won't tell you this, but obviously if there's a trust. You, the, the trust agreement is relevant, okay? It's relevant in every case. And there's nothing unique about a foreclosure. It follows the same rules of evidence, and it follows the same rules of civil procedure. And there's they can't win these cases on business records or these kind of documents because 
um, they're not uh, while they may be their business records, they are subject to cross-examination and everything else. So what we're looking for is the documents that would show that they actually purchased the debt, that they bought it, and they paid fair market value consideration for it. They can't buy it for a dollar. They have to pay a reasonable value for the debt. And what's what's mind-boggling is that if you're claiming that a client or that the homeowner owes you $300,000 and you can't produce the actual proof, here, I paid for it, here's a receipt for it, here's the letter I sent to the homeowner saying I own it. I mean, you would think foreclosure would be one of the easiest cases to win if you're a bank, but, you know, they don't have their paperwork it's not in order and uh and it, it it it's there but it doesn't do what it's supposed to do and discovery is the process to ferret that out uh, i did make you aware of one particular trust where uh we ended up with, at mediation and we actually requested the transaction documents and the trustee who actually was on the phone participating in the uh, in the um, mediation conference actually was able to email those documents to the mediation, and we looked at them, and they actually purchased it. But on every, I would say that 99% of the rest of the, the trusts, every time we've asked for it, they've never been able to produce it. So if they can't produce the proof that they own the debt, then they can never delegate anything to a servicer or anybody else to foreclose. And if you can ferret that out and present that at trial, you should uh, win the case. So I've got a combined question for you. What do you look for? Somebody says, will you take my case? And I guess that kind of segues into what's the advice that you give to lawyers out there who are listening to this program and are considering taking on a case that involves defense in a foreclosure? Okay. So what I look for or what I'd like to um, to uh, seem to have success with is one I look for is a trust involved, so some type of debt securitization. You can tell by the caption. Uh, it would normally have ABC as trustee, not in their individual capacity, but you know as trustee for, and then it'll have some sort of. Uh, it could be structured asset security series 1987-12, something that would indicate to me on its face that it's securitized debt. The second thing that I look for is if there's a lost note. Uh, those two factors, and they don't always have to be present. In Murphy, we actually had both, but um, which is a case that I would take you know, just based on those two facts alone. But in most cases, if they, uh, if it's a securitized debt, which the majority of the debt is securitized, 
um, I would think that would be the starting point. And then the second thing I, I would uh, look for is I would have the, the client um, typically engage, and I think you provide this service, but I would have them, uh, you know, have a chain of title, something looked at that would confirm or um, provide some type of evidence that, it, it, you know, that there were assignments out there or that there's some issues related to the trust itself. With those two things, then uh, we would next move forward and, and consider a consultation with the client. So what do you recommend to lawyers who are considering taking on one of these cases? Be the first lawyer to uh, consult or review the actual complaint that is filed with the client with a sufficient amount of time generally to uh, look at it, look at the documents that are attached, and talk to the client about what their goals and objectives in the litigation would be. Uh, that's, that's step one. You want to make sure that your client and the lawyer are on the same page, otherwise it can become difficult to, um, as the case progresses, uh, to, uh, you know, to represent that client. Well, that kind of brings me to the next question, which is to ask you to talk about the difference between taking a case at the beginning of the case, where the foreclosure has just been started versus getting it when it's somewhere in process already and and pleadings have been filed on both sides. The difference, uh, all right, the huge difference. If you get the case at the beginning and, and you actually accept it, uh, you at least I'm able to determine, uh, again, based on some research and some other facts, whether or not the homeowner has a chance of prevailing. And I ascertain at that point uh, what their uh, financial ability is in order to pursue the, uh, the case. There are some things that, that can be done that have to be done and then there are some things that are optional. For example, you don't have to depose the bank witnesses. Um, I don't do it, and, and I'd rather have the bank witness come live. But I will tell the client that we have to spend the time, the effort, and the pursuit of the discovery of getting certain documents that are important to the case. Uh, one example might be the actual default letter, uh, because if they default and accelerate, and it's not a debt that they owned, then they'd never had the right to accelerate and declare a default. So uh, initially, you're better off because then, you know, the lawyer would know what he wants or she wants in order to prepare the defense strategy and the narrative. Uh, when you get a case midstream, a lot of flags go off. Usually the client, there's damage in the case because uh, – you're switching lawyers and you're switching gears. 
It doesn't mean that I wouldn't take a case midstream, but you're already committed to the position that the prior lawyer took, and oftentimes it takes uh, some time and money uh, if you have to go in and then try to amend a complaint or a defense after the case is filed and pending. Judges will, will allow you to do it, but they don't like to do it, and especially in foreclosure cases, they, the presumption in, incorrectly is that, well, the homeowners is stalling for some additional time because they're not paying the stay in the house. Right. And another thing that you can answer is why can't a lawyer take on the defense of a foreclosure action on a contingency basis? Because even if the lawyer were successful, there is no way to deter, to compel, as it used to be, the lenders uh, or the servicers from, if they lost, they used to be able to, uh, courts would routinely award attorney fees. So you, if you felt you were going to win the case, uh, then the risk-reward is that, okay, I feel strong about the case, I'll take it, and not not that I won't get paid, but I'll defer until we get to the attorney fee hearing. Or you could structure it such that you would get something as it progressed. Uh, that's been completely dispelled with, at least under Florida law, and that if you're successful on standing, which is really the only defense that's that's out there, um, in some form of a, of a foreclosure, uh, then there's no fees because if they never had the ability to enforce the contract, then you're not the prevailing party under the contract. So there's no incentive for any attorneys to take the cases. Uh, it, and, it, the, and a lot of homeowners think, oh, well, there's fraud, there's conspiracy, there's this, there's that, there's all these things. But at the end of the day, the, the real question is, you know, how are you damaged or how did you rely on it if you win the foreclosure? They didn't foreclose. So you're really, quote, unquote, not damaged in, in the traditional sense. It, so you have to, you know, there's another theory, it, it's some type of a tort theory to go after them post-judgment. Uh, and there's no guarantee that you'll ever see anything. So that's the reason why it's difficult and why uh, you know an attorney should, and they're time-consuming. You will spend a lot of time, and you will have to go to multiple hearings to get where it's got to go. But again, the client has to have the you know the financial wherewithal, um, and, and is, is made aware of that at least at, up front that this is what it's going to cost, and then uh, you know the lawyer's got to be paid. You can't just take if you if you start taking. You know, too many pro bono cases or too many contingency cases, then you're not going to have a lawyer at all. Right, right. Because cause from a business pay. perspective, it's yeah, there's no there's no money generated on it. Yeah, the grocery store is not going to give food to the lawyer's family on a contingency basis based upon their case. Um, well, that and I can't tell my staff, um, you know, I'm going to pay you. 
or I'm going to tell the research company like Lexus that, you know, we're going to have to wait until the case is concluded, and then we collect the money from the other side. And, you know, and that's a difficult concept, and I appreciate that. But, um, you know, sometimes, the, you know, there's, there's certain things you can do. And, and, again, with my particular practice, there's only one of me. So, um, you know, and I and I practice in a in a variety of civil trial litigation, which I think helps uh, rather than just focusing on one area of the law. I agree. It makes you more adept at trial uh, to be in trial on on many different issues. How did the judge react to your defense narrative? Extremely well. Um, as judge, I, I won't. I won't say the name uh, because I'm not sure if if I can or cannot. But uh, the judge okay. in the Murphy case was a retired judge that who was on the bench at one time was very well respected. Uh, because the foreclosures are down, we actually were assigned to a civil division. In the civil division, we had a judge that was a former trial lawyer, and that made a huge difference because the judges uh, also have a very good concept of the uh, of uh, not right and wrong, but they have a very good concept of of discovery rules and what's important, rules of evidence and rules of procedure and why these things are important. Now, whether they're admissible, whether the, whether you can get them or not, so. We had a trial judge that's that's basically a trial, civil trial judge that's handled a lot of those cases. Um, This ended up getting tried, and they brought in a retired judge um, who formerly was a civil trial judge. And she uh, allowed, you know, first of all, we had to convince them that why we needed a day. Because the banks say, you know, this should be over in an hour. All I need is 20 minutes, and, you know. And I'm like, right. well, no, I'm going to need about four to five hours. And uh, so the the judge was very attentive, and with the witness bill uh, and the document that we had, which finally, for some unexplained reason, they agreed to waive the confidentiality. And based on that, we yeah. were able to introduce it. So, yeah, she he cited page and book and line, and she read it, and we had a, a, a five-by-seven display that was professionally done as a demonstrative aid, which diagrammed everything, where the loan started, where it ended up, and why it couldn't do what they said it did. Step-by-step. Step-by-step, going slow and methodical. And um, in closing argument, by the time we got the closing argument, we had it summed up. And it wasn't it hey. wasn't announced in a crazy theory. It was just level uh, facts. Right. And here's the fact, and here's how we proved it. Right. And none so, of it was based on hearsay. It was all documents that were out there in the public record. Right. Right. So what's the one takeaway that you want lawyers to know about foreclosure defense? Um, that they can be successful uh, in the defense and that there's still defenses out there to the foreclosure case. They've always been there, 
just nobody ever really um, saw him. And uh, the, the yeah, the, just I would continue to look at him, and you got to look at him on a case by case or or client by client matter. Right. But they can be one. They can be one. Do you enjoy litigating foreclosure defense? <laughs> That's kind of a loaded question. Um, I enjoy litigating uh, a case where uh, it's challenge. Yes, yes, because of the challenges and the uh, the ability to uh, to uh, explain the position and then and then have the judge uh you know be convinced that you're correct. Yes, I do. Patrick Genta, lawyer in South Florida, pleasure and honor to have you on the program. Thanks for Thank taking Thank you, the- Neil. Thank you very much. And now we'll try our new outro. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.